no reason to exist. Hi, how's it going? Then I'll have you two, three, and four, and five. Have a good day. You too, thanks. Thank you. The toll booths are going away. Right now I'm looking at a picture of two toll collectors hugging at the end of their last shift. The caption says, they were among more than two dozen full-time toll collectors who were replaced by an electronic system. They got rid of all the toll booths on the Massachusetts Turnpike, and they just approved a budget to get rid of them in New Hampshire, where I live. In 10 or 20 years, all the toll booths will be gone, and the people who remember them will sound like crazy geezers. There were little booths in the middle of the road, and people standing in the booths 24 hours a day. And you would give them little slips of paper and little metal discs, and then they would let you go. That's nice, Grandpa. But what will it be like when all the toll booths are really gone? You wait in line, in your car, somebody takes your money. So what? So what if they all disappear? To find out, I got in touch with a few toll collectors. I was in the I was on the western end of New York State, so Pennsylvania State Line exits 61 through 58. That's Vincent. He worked as a toll collector for five years in New York. I've mostly been through the tolls in Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and they were pretty tame. Hi, have a nice day. Sometimes they gave you dog treats if you had a dog with you. But at the toll booths in New York where Vincent worked, things were a little more intense. Sometimes it even got political. Toll collectors, I think, are modern-day tax collectors because they are the visceral representation of, I don't necessarily want to say the state, but they are the, they are the, the messengers that take from the individual and contribute to some larger entity, be it government or, you know, some private organization. And and typically toll collectors face a lot of vitriol because, you know, like when you're doing any kind of other transaction, you typically are there because you want to be there. And in an interaction with a toll collector, you know, you want to be on the road, you need to be on the road, but you're kind of compelled into this interaction that you really don't want to be a part of. Uh, so there's this kind of like base, there's this baseline animosity between many uh, drivers and many toll collectors because the driver is not particularly happy to see the toll collector and the toll collector conversely is not necessarily that happy to see the driver because the toll collector has seen potentially thousands of drivers. So, so we're all getting funneled in and slowed down and we have to give you money and we hate it because mm -hmm. you're, because yep. that money is paying for 
the governor's salary or something. Well, that's what people would say to me. You know, they they they'd be like, you know, this 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 for the governor. You know, make sure make sure he gets this. Or, <laughs> they really would uh, say that. Oh, people had all kinds of of smart ass remarks. Absolutely, and like, I mean, I, I understand some were better than others. Some some got a little personal. You know, I was like, I don't know. I'm just I'm just a guy in a box. I got to do this thing. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not trying to take things out of your pocket, but but I am by the nature of this job. So. Well, that maybe in of itself is sort of a value. People get to express themselves. They're not thinking of it as a positive thing, but you are unfortunately the punching bag for it. But but they get to say oh. their their piece. Yeah, and they drive away, you know, and they feel a little bit better. Um, the only downside to that, on the other side of that, is when you hear it from a ton of people, you know, over an eight-hour day. You know, it is exhausting. When all the toll booths are gone, there will be no more free highway therapy. Who are we going to unload our frustrations on? Who are we going to unload on in general? We just kind of become like these catch-alls, you know, for, for what people for what people need. You know, sometimes they're like, hey, can you like throw this out for me? And they just like throw their garbage at you. And you're like, no, what is this? Oh, it's gross. If you throw garbage at toll collectors, stop. This is a public service message. Stop. Vincent also told me about some surreal, cross-cultural, educational moments. There were so many people that got on the road, and they didn't even speak English, you know? They, they were on, like, American... They were on their American vacation, you know, from, like, Europe. And they don't even... They have, like, an idea of what a toll road is. They know they, know they need to stop. But, you know, they're looking at me, and they don't speak English, and, you know, like, I don't speak French, and... You know, we're just kind of in this, like, weird staring game, and I'm just like, okay, let me go ahead and just, like, reach into your car and grab the ticket from you, and then I will try to somehow communicate that it is, you know, $3 that I need from you, and, you know, hopefully we can figure this out, and then the transaction ends, and I'm like, okay, that's good, bye, you know, I'm waving, and they're, like, still looking at me, and I'm like, no, you can, you can go now, you can, you can continue on your trip, um, but yeah, you know, so many, so many interactions like that. You know, you get the guys that are like, why do I have to pay a toll? And I'm like, long story, bud. And, of course, we want directions. Where am I? How do I get where I want to be? Oh, good. There's a person in the middle of the road. I'll ask them. Hello. Do you know how to get to Newix? Do you know where Newix is? To? Newix Seafood. Oh, Newix. Yeah. Exit six, right there. Thank you so much. All right. Yeah, give directions was a big part of the job, and I had grown up probably four or five miles from the mouth of the tunnel, and so I knew that that direction especially very well. So anybody who asked me how to get to Revere Beach or Route 1 or the airport or anything like that, I could tell them. Um, and that was, fair. I'd say not an hour would go by, or certainly not two hours would go by without somebody asking you, which is, which, um, 
that's really something that's been lost. I mean, now you have the GPS, or most people have a GPS, but, um, you know, you could be driving up and say, how do I get to Anna's Pizza on Revere Beach? And you probably have a good shot of getting there without punching anything into any phone or GPS. That's Roland Marullo. He's written over 20 books, novels, memoirs, suspense, love stories, and even a few on spiritual road trips. But before he even thought of becoming a writer, when he was still in college, Roland was a toll collector. It was hard work. The physical difficulty of it, I think most people can't imagine. You know, it's not like you're in... uh... You're in the country someplace collecting a nickel every 20 minutes and sitting there reading a book. You know, you're on your feet, it's hot, it's it's terrible air, you have to be alert. You know, they checked at the end of the day to make sure that the number of cars that had gone through matched the amount of money that you had taken in. Uh, it was like, the early, it wasn't computerized, but it was some kind of electronic system. Um, and so that, you know, when you're touching people's hands and, and money, which is not pristine, you know, all day long, and, um, you know, you do that for three or four hours at a time and go wash your hands and have lunch and come back and do it for another three or four hours. And by the end of that, and I was a an athlete and a strong kid and, you know, 20, 20 or 21, and I would be completely wiped out at the end of the day. Roland writes a lot about finding the spiritual in the everyday, and it seems like he took that approach even when he was a college student working in a toll booth. I'd try to make somebody's day. I'd see somebody, a stewardess coming from the airport looking worn out, and I'd, you know, you'd have 15 seconds or less to make a conversation and try to cheer somebody up. But some people didn't need cheering up. Two guys came through in a black car, and the 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 guy in the two hefty guys and the guy in the passenger seat leaned down to look at me, and the driver said, "Is this the guy?" <laughs> Pointed to me. Yeah. And he looked at me for what seemed like an hour and said, "Nah, that's not the guy." And they drove away. I don't know if they were playing a game with me. Right. It didn't feel like a game, but probably that's what it was. Um, had you seen The Godfather at that point? Yeah, probably. I think everybody had at that point. It was not, That would have been 1973 or 4. Um, and a cab driver came through. There was a couple naked in the backseat making love. And he, he had this... <laughs> He had this very funny look on his face, you know. He had not bargained for that. And then a couple of hours later, he came through again, and, and I could see that he was trying to find me where I was because you would move, like after lunch, you'd move to a different lane, and he was trying to see the lane. And he drove up to me and said, did you see the kind of fares that I get? Did you see those people? I said, yeah, yeah, I saw it, you know. When all those tow booths disappear, so will some intrigue and some romance. You look at the pretty women and girls, you know, I mean, I was 21. I mean, I was always hopeful that some beautiful young girl would look at me and ask me out or something. I don't know, uh, you know, slip me her address along with the dollar bill, but that didn't happen.
Though romance didn't bloom for Roland at the toll booth, a toll collector did show up in one of his books. Well, I haven't read all your books yet, but I noticed uh, Breakfast with Buddha, you've got a little quote about a toll booth, which I found funny, where someone's asking him for good restaurant options at the toll booth. And you say, the woman squinted at me as if I were a communist, then with some reluctance directed us to a nearby steakhouse. But I was suspicious from the first. I sensed that the place belonged to a friend of hers or her husband's cousin, that there might be kickbacks involved. What, were you aware of any of that? Where did that come from? Uh, I, I didn't remember that I wrote that. Now that you mention it, I do remember it was somewhere out west. But, um, yeah, you know, I grew up with that. I mean, that's what you would do if someone said, hey, where can I eat in Chelsea? Or where can I eat in East Boston? Or where can I eat in Riviera? You know, you knew somebody who owned a restaurant or whose cousin owned the restaurant or the restaurant people had been good to you or your brother or your sister or something one time. And, you know, it was a minor league corruption. You know, you would say, oh, go to Geno's because the food there is great, even if the food there wasn't great, you know. You were doing a little part to, to help out somebody you cared for, you know. That wasn't the only form of minor league corruption you could find at the toll booth. Good morning. Can I have a receipt? Thank you so much. You too. The biggest thing was that business guys would always say, can I have five extra receipts? They were going to pad their expense account. And I would say no. And they'd say, oh, come on. I get, you know, no, I'd say no. Look, you paid me a quarter of the receipts for a quarter. You know, That was very common. I'd say that happened you know, 10 times every single day. Your memories of toll booths may not be so colorful. But we all go on journeys, and we all want landmarks. We want to know we're moving along. And stopping for the toll can give you that sense. I memorized the exits where we were like, we'd have to go through a toll plaza, barriers they're called. And I just, you know, they were like markers in my mind. You know, I would like mark um, the amount of time you had left in a trip based on like these markers. And like for me, they carried more significance than just signs on the side of a road or, you know, cities like going through Buffalo. I, the specific marker is like, Lackawanna toll booth, the Williamsville toll booth. You know, you when you're going through Buffalo, you know, you have to go through both. And once you've gone through both, look, you're you're out of Buffalo. If we forget about the literary and nostalgic and economic reasons for keeping toll booths around, it's still a good idea to have to stop now and then, just for your own good. People, when they're driving, they get in these weird, like kind of like trance states, and especially when they're driving alone not having those moments where like you break it up I, I wonder like kind of what the effect it has on people um because like when people pulled in the toll booth sometimes you just see like the look in their eyes and you're like man i don't know how long you've been driving and i don't know the last time that you talked to someone um but those kind of states can be problematic or dangerous on the road sometimes you know we're outsourcing all of this to cameras above the highway the toll booths corralled us they forced us to meet strangers just for a few seconds. What happens when all these structures go away for good? When people aren't made to share awkward moments and questionable restaurant reviews with another random, marvelous human being? How are we going to force people to interact with each other? I Honestly, I, I don't know. And I, I, I really think that 
the more kind of disconnected we get, the meaner we get, because I think it's just, I think it's easier to be meaner when, you know, you can hide behind a screen or a computer, um, you know, when you're not having to be out there and, and, and do these like human micro transactions, you know, I think it's easier to be crueler. And I don't really know what the solution to that is, but I think like when you are forced to, it's the same thing with like ordering food and going pick it up at a store. You know, it's like these little, it's little things you don't do through through the course of a day, and you just kind of get like insulated in yourself. You know, and I think it hardens, it hardens your openness to others. I think it's part and parcel of a much larger movement that is puts convenience first and people second and I you know I mean I like it when I'm in a hurry and I'm driving down the highway and I don't have to stop I'll admit that I've gotten to appreciate that not having to be stuck in traffic you know if I'm trying to get someplace because usually there'd be a backup at the toll booth you know and that's convenience and ATM is convenient and pumping your own gas is convenient and some people not me will check out their own groceries at the supermarket and it's all convenient, it's all for speed, and it all diminishes human interaction. Right, what's going to be left after the the groceries come with on a drone? And... I don't know. You wonder. You know, you wonder, and then, then you know, I don't know. You, you really wonder what, um, how we will interact with each other. On, I mean, look at Facebook. I think the growth of Facebook speaks to that, that people are, desperately seeking um, human connection and it's not there anymore you know it's not you know the old it's a cliche but when I was a kid you know there'd be 15 kids out on on Essex Street and Revere playing a variety of different games and sports and you go there now there's absolutely nobody that's how I feel when I take exit 10 off the mass pike it's a weird feeling I go around the ramp And then I'm on 84, just like that. It's really disconcerting because all sorts of things used to happen right there. But if you go there now, there's absolutely nobody. There used to be little booths in the middle of the road. And people standing in the booths 24 hours a day. And you'd give them slips of paper and little metal discs. And then they would let you go. Pull on over to Patreon and throw a scrunched up dollar at this podcast, why don't you? Seriously, if you like No Reason to Exist, please support it at patreon.com slash no reason to exist. Thanks to Jay Hasha DeSola for the cool music. You heard snippets from Eigengrau, On a Sleepless Night, Blue Sky, and No Situation in that order. Also, thanks Ross for letting me borrow the condenser microphone. And thanks to all of you for putting up with the bad audio on my end of the phone calls. I think I finally figured out how to do it properly. So tune in next time to find out. Thanks to Vincent and Roland. And thanks to all the hardworking toll collectors. And thanks to all of you who are already supporting me. Thanks for listening.
warning. Thanks a lot.